Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, October 29th, 2019, and you're listening to another episode of the DC United podcast. My name is Michael Cohen, and I'm the Senior Director of Content and Strategy for DC United. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. As always, you can find episodes of this podcast available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DCUnited.com. If you happen to be listening through our website, we encourage you to check out the Inside the Black and Red tab, which is located under the News section, because there you can find all archived episodes of this podcast, links to behind-the-scenes stories, statistical breakdowns, and everything else you need to stay up-to-date on the black and red. And if you happen to be listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a star rating, leave a review, let us know what you like, what you dislike, and what you might want to hear in future episodes. Now, as you probably saw from the title of today's show, we are motoring right along with our 1999 series, celebrating the 20th anniversary of DC United's third MLS Cup. We've had all kinds of guests so far on this program, looking back at the 99 season, and today we have goalkeeper Tom Prestis. And Tom was a guy who had a very interesting tenure with DC United in that he joined the club in 97, at which point Scott Garlick was the starting goalkeeper. And Scott Garlick held that starting spot into the 98 season up until almost the very end of the regular season, at which point Bruce Arena made a change and he goes with Tom Prestis over Scott Garlick for the end of the regular season into the playoffs through MLS Cup, which was of course a 2-0 loss to the Chicago Fire. Come the following year, Scott Garlick is gone, Tom Prestis is the unquestioned number one going into 99, and his backup goalkeeper, Mark Simpson, was actually the DC United keeper in 96 during that first championship run. So you had Mark Simpson winning a title in 96 in goal, then the next year you had Scott Garlick winning a title in goal, the following year you had Tom Prestis losing in 98 to the Chicago Fire, then Simpson comes back to be the backup after recovering from injury, and Prestis finally gets his title in 99. So you had three titles in four years, three different goalkeepers winning them. So without further ado, let's get into a conversation with goalkeeper Tom Prestis. The first question I had for you is uh, going into that 99 season, did you know you, you had the starting role locked up or was that a competition from day one? Um, you know, I think that that year was a little bit different because um, for the first two years that I was with the club, there was a lot of changes within the, the goalkeeping and um, Scott Garlick and I were, were kind of battling back and forth. Uh, Scott moved on uh, to Tampa that year. So um, it felt like to me that the, the club had made a decision that they wanted to go in, in that direction with me. Mark Simpson, the other goalkeeper, was coming back from injury. So um, I knew that it was, uh, I, I, I had felt more confident that year that it was my position to, to lose. How did you handle the adjustment going from Bruce Arena to Thomas Rongen, and, and how did that play into anything you, you either needed to do stylistically or tactically or anything like that? Um, I don't know if I did. I think that I was pretty naive at that time in my career where, where I don't know if I, um, I, I probably gave it much thought. Um, you know, we obviously had a great deal of success with, with Bruce, and and Bruce was really... Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a secret that Bruce is a fantastic coach, and you know his secret was that he um, he he knew how to push buttons of players and get the most out of players. Um, and Thomas came in with a different mentality and was 
you know, being a former professional player, you know, was what kind of a, uh, a guy's guy and like to hang out with the guys and just give each other confidence. And, and so um, we kind of, as a group, we already had a lot of confidence, even though we um, uh, lost in the final the previous year. You know, it was still, for the most part, the group felt really confident about our ability. So it was just a matter of, of Thomas um, uh, encouraging us and, and keeping us light and um, uh, helping us enjoy the season as much as possible. You know, due in large part to where you guys are positioned on the field, goalkeepers see the game a little bit differently than anybody else. So I'm curious, from your vantage point throughout your time with the club, and especially you know toward the beginning of that '99 season, when when DC United was on and playing as well as it could, what did it look like, and why was it so effective from your vantage point? I think looking back on it, the biggest thing for me with that club is that, uh, especially in those first couple of years. Um, was that no matter what the score, no matter how much time was left in the game, we had a belief in ourselves that we'd figure out a way to win. And so if you look back on, on some of those results, you, th- you could see where there's, you know, you would think that there's no opportunity for us to come back. But that was never a thought in our heads. It was always, um, I, until the final whistle, we thought that we were going to win every single game. Um, uh, regardless of the score at the time. And that, I think that was the biggest, char- uh, the, the strongest characteristic that we had is, you know, it was a, a group that really enjoyed being around each other. Uh, we competed um, uh, um, uh, in games together, but training was, was ultra competitive as well. Uh, ping pong matches in the locker room were all competitive. <laughs> so, you know, I, we had a unique advantage early on in MLS that we were one of the only clubs with that training facility and the camaraderie that was built uh, by having a clubhouse to be in and spending time together was huge Um, and and forming a relationship where we could really trust each other on the field. And I think that that came through in the way that we were able to to battle no matter what the circumstance was, no matter what the score was. and so that's the thing that I remember way more than any tactics or style of play um, or anything like that. There were a number of guys that shuffled through the back line at times throughout that season, but some of the mainstays were Eddie Pope and Jeff Agus and Carlos Yamosa. Uh, Kerry Talley was in there at times. Um, you know, I'm just curious, when you think about that back line and the success that you guys had, what about the chemistry between you and them and then them linking up with Richie Williams at the number six spot? Why was that back end so strong? Well, I, you know, the, the biggest thing was it gave so much confidence to the players in front that they could leave those players, those defenders, isolated 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, um, uh, 1v2 in situations. And, and you knew that those players were strong enough to take, advantage, take care of business back there and win battles. And so what that allowed is it freed everybody else up in front to, to play with a, um, some creati- creativity and freedom and express themselves. So, you know, I, I think back of a lot of situations where it was my job just to not to give the goal away. You know, if I could stay back and stay as big as possible without giving that goal away, it allow uh, either Eddie or Carlos or, or, or Jeff to or Richie or, or Kerry Talley to recover in time to block the shots that were needed. So that was, I, I mean, I, I can, one of the things that I do remember is 
situations where Eddie Pope, you know, would just remind me, stay back in goal. Just let me, give me time to recover. Don't give anything away. And, um, and I think that that's, you know, looking at those defenders, look at Eddie Pope. He's, you know, clearly one of the best defenders that this league has ever seen. Sure. Um, and, and in combination with Jeff and, and Carlos and uh, Kerry Ritchie, um, you know, what a combination back there. And um, it made my job very easy. On the flip side of that, I've heard some awesome stories about what training was like going against a trio like Roy, Jaime, and Marco. So as a goalkeeper, how challenging was that? And did, do you think they helped make you better throughout your career? Um, certainly. You know, uh, one, of, <laughs> one of the most difficult, Obviously, like I said, training was incredibly uh, competitive, um, and and when you get to face that type of competition every day, it, it certainly heightens your ability. Um, it gets you sharper, and and if you can't, uh, if you don't measure up, then uh, then it's pretty obvious. And so, um, uh, you know, I, well, I guess what's the what's the statement of the the saying steel sharpens steel yeah um, it, it's kind of that was certainly the the way that the trainings unfolded um you know one thing that i didn't mention is is I'll, no matter how fun it is to play with with a group of defenders like that in front of you it is actually kind of difficult to be a goalkeeper in that situation as well um because really you're you know, one of the easiest things as a goalkeeper is to be in the game all day, you know, face eight, ten shots. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the toughest thing for for us as goalkeepers, whether it was Scott Garlic, myself, um, or, or Mark Simpson um, in, in 99 with me, it's staying focused in order to come up with that one, maybe two big saves a game. And, um, and that was... That was a challenge, but it also like it was a it was a great seat to watch the rest of the game unfold for most of it. Um, but uh, and then certainly the like you said the competition and training, um, uh, be able to watch and learn from uh, how they attacked it, it, and and how they got to goal and the um, the create the situations that they created um, only made us better in the back as well. I spoke to Mark Simpson earlier, and, and he was just so complimentary of the relationship that you guys had and that, you know, yeah, you're battling for a spot, and yes, you played more than he did that season, but, you know, with him coming back from injury, he said he was just glad to be out there and that when he was out there in, in the game where maybe you got nicked up or maybe you just got a day off, you were his biggest supporter and, and vice versa. He said you guys played golf together. Sort of, I guess, how do you remember that relationship and, and why is it so important to have a positive relationship Relationship between goalkeepers, given how much time you guys kind of spend off on your own. Sure, absolutely. You know, the, um, the thing that I probably remember, remember most from the championship game is um, Mark and our goalkeeper coach Alan Kelly being the first ones to come up to me after the game, and um, and obviously, and, and Mark just coming up and a huge hug and um, uh, just saying how. Um, how happy he was for me uh, to get to experience this. Based, uh, you know, we, we had lost a tough one in '98 the year before. Um, you know, he he had a chance to, to win a championship in '96. Scott Garlic was on the in, for the '97 championship. Um, 
So, you know, that meant so much. And it was a culmination of, of the relationship that we had. We, we roomed together. Um, we played a lot of golf together. He's a much better golfer than I ever was. <laughs> um, but, but to your point, you know, we spend a lot of time as goalkeepers isolated from the rest of the team and working, working together. So when you have that relationship where it's uh, pushing each other to be the best, but at the same time knowing that um, you can confide in each other and talk to each other about the, the challenges that you guys, that we face, um, it, it certainly makes the job so much easier. And, um, and I'll be forever grateful for that experience that I had with Mark. So I want to ask you a little bit about the playoff run. Uh, pretty much everybody I've talked to about it has very little recollection of the Miami series, which was a 2 nothing sweep at the beginning of the playoffs, but everybody remembers the Columbus series. You win game one, you go to Columbus and, and kind of get blasted, to be honest, 5-1, to one, and then you come back and it's game three, do or die at RFK. Uh, what do you remember about that series? And, you know, for you, obviously goalkeepers don't want to give up any goals, but what was it like to go through that game two, and, and did you have to do anything to kind of bounce yourself back before game three? <laughs> you know, the the crazy thing is, is um, I, I don't remember a lot of games. Um, uh, I, whether it be, you know, this is a terrible thing to say, but I did have a lot of concussions in my career. Okay. So I could, I could blame that. Um, but the truth is that was never something that was important to me to remember uh, um, exact plays and games. But one thing that I do remember from that series is Stern John juggling um, when it was probably 5-1 during the game. And I think <laughs> it was that moment where after the game it was such a, you know, who the fuck does he think he is? Right. You know, they've got another game to come and play. And um, and I think at that point we knew that there was no chance that Columbus had a chance to win the next game. Now, um, now building off that, uh, Thomas Rongen told me, and I don't know if it's true or not, maybe you can confirm, he said after that game he remembers Eddie Pope, who didn't speak up a whole lot, coming into the locker room and saying something, something to the effect of, uh, over my dead body will they advance to the finals, we're winning game three. Do you remember that? Um. I don't remember Eddie specifically saying that, but it doesn't surprise me. I think it was the attitude that everybody had. Um, you know, it was nice to get a good embarrassment, but uh, but um, to remind us of you know that we had to be prepared for every game. But um, but yeah, I think it goes back to that. It, it, I don't think we ever thought that we were going to lose that series. Sure. Regarding winning uh, or losing that game five to one, um, it just wasn't even a. I don't think we ever went into a game thinking we'd ever lose. So, um, and and you're right, Thomas is and Thomas is absolutely right. Eddie didn't speak up very much, but when he did, um, he had everybody's attention. That's for sure. Now, uh, in that game three, again, I don't know if you remember this, but I was looking through the box score. You actually had an assist in that game, and I asked a couple of the defenders or anybody else if they could remember it, and they said no. But they said, but we bet if you asked Tom, he would remember. Now, do you recall having an assist in that game? I do recall having an assist just because it came up a couple of years ago when um, uh, when when another player got had an assist in MLS and it showed all the goalkeepers that had an assist. Um, but I so the thing that I remember most about the, our style of play was I had one responsibility when I got the ball it was to find Marco, um, and and so I would assume that. 
that it was probably a throw or a, play, a pass out to Marco that's led to a maybe a hockey assist. Gotcha. Uh, um, but uh, but I know that there's not many goalkeepers in the league that have assists, and I think I have two. So um, uh, I'm happy for that. Uh, uh, that opportunity, but I think most of the hard work was probably done by somebody else. Was I part probably got the ball and threw it out to somebody. Was part of the reason you guys were so confident, not only just in that game, but in general, uh, because of the the support and the crowds you had at RFK. Um, it was uh, now for me. I it's the only thing that I had experienced um, in those you know first couple of years of my career. So I didn't know anything different, but but. It was such a huge advantage to play at RFK. Um, the it was such a unique environment compared to the rest of the league, and uh, it was passionate fans, but also very knowledgeable fans. Um, and you know, they'd let you know if you weren't playing up to up to standard as well. So it was um, it was a situation where you just you. You played for the fans because you and you played for your teammates, obviously, but you just didn't want to let them down. And so it was such a, a humbling experience to play in that environment in front of uh, such passionate and, and knowledgeable and um, energetic fans. It's uh, it's something that I'll remember forever. So you kind of mentioned what it was like when the final whistle sounded at the end of MLS Cup, but I'm curious about the build-up or the moments before the match. Were you the type that that got nervous? Were you anxious? Or what was it like just getting ready for that game at Foxborough Stadium? Um, I'm sure I was nervous and anxious. Uh, I was, as a player, I was always really superstitious, so I would go through a a routine. and um, um, But I felt like... you know, I felt. I think we felt prepared. Um, I felt prepared. Uh, um, you know, the, the conditions on the field were poor. Right. Um, and, but I don't think any of that really. I don't remember uh, too much of that resonating with us. It was again, maybe it was just being young and naive. But for me, that was my third championship that I'd been involved in. Um, third MLS Cup, uh, fourth for the club. Um, so, so I think that we were all pretty comfortable with being in that environment, um, and I don't, I don't think the stage was too big for any of us. Um, so that was a huge advantage, and and then, you know, fortunately we got some some pretty good breaks in that game too. Some of it field related, um, but uh, but that's, you know. Uh, the one thing that I do remember from pregame is the fact that Christina Aguilera sang the pregame, uh, the, the national anthem. You're the second person that's brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which was, you know, that's where she got her start in uh, MLS Cup 1999, singing the national anthem, I guess. What, uh, what were some of your superstitions, if I may ask? Oh, God, it was everything. Um, whether it was the pregame music that I listened to, um, uh, the way that I would put my uniform on, socks, shin guards, you know, the, the, the sequence. Sure. The, one of the big things for me was uh, I, I didn't want any forwards opposing players uh, drinking water from around the goal. So I'd get rid of all the water bottles that were I lined up around the field and I'd just have my one water bottle. Um, it was things like that, uh, stretching routines. I mean, it was terrible. And the, 
And it was funny because it wasn't like I was playing great to get those superstitions. Okay. But in my head, I was always like, you know, you could play so much worse if you didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a little bit of self-deprecation there. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, you know, it, I, I guess it all had its purpose, right? To get my... It, get me in the right mind frame but uh, but yeah the, the superstitions became the took a life of, uh, started to take a life of their own after a while for for that game you guys take the one nothing lead when when Jaime pokes that ball in I think it was in the 19th minute and the whole team it seemed like ran behind the goal and started celebrating with the supporter section that was there and I think there was some kind of confetti coming down from some place yep. so you were on the opposite end of the field how did you celebrate uh, I was probably pumping my fist, running up and down, wanting to be down on the other end. Um, you know, that's the, uh, <laughs> it is, it is pretty isolating back there as a goalkeeper. Um, but, uh, you know, that goal was, this one thing. I also, one of the biggest plays of that, of that game is Richie Williams clearing one off the line. Um, it, it's something that I remember as well. I can't remember if it was on a corner kick. It must've been on a corner or a free kick. Um, but he was on the post and clearing one off the line. So, you know, that keeping that out of the back, that obviously changes the dynamic of the game. And um, um, so it, it was, it was obviously key for us to get that goal, that early goal from Jaime. Um, it was key that uh, Robin Frazier got injured in that game. Yeah. There were a lot of breaks that kind of fell fell in our direction that's for sure to take the two nothing lead it required a little bit of a slip up by kevin hartman at the other end of the field and you know you mentioned that the conditions weren't that great uh as part of the goalkeepers union is it a strange feeling to kind of take a two nothing lead on a play where you, you probably feel a little bad for the guy across from you uh certainly yes uh, absolutely um but at the same time uh my competitiveness probably took over more than that and said you know, I'll take it. Um, but I don't think, uh, you know, Kevin Hartman had a fantastic career in MLS. I don't think he has anything to be, uh, feel bad about. It was, uh, you know, it was such a terrible situation because, um, that doesn't happen if the field conditions are better. Sure. Uh, but it was, I don't think that Ben Olson gets enough credit for his finish on that. It was not an easy finish. Um, and for him to take it as clinical, clinically as he did was it was pretty impressive. I've heard from a couple people that Ben was sort of the, the ultimate garbage man by just being in the right spot at the right time and then having the technique to finish in certain situations. As somebody who went against him every day in practice, did you find that he was kind of always Johnny on the spot in drills and things like that? Uh, Johnny on the spot or just, I mean, he, he's a, he has so much energy, um, and um, such a such a big heart and, and a will to win that it you know that's probably the, the reason why he's Johnny on the spot right, right? It, he just has that mentality to get, put himself in the right position to take advantage of it and, and sure uh, being able to to pull it off with the right technique helps as well. So I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit remembering sort of that embrace that you shared with Mark Simpson and, and your goalkeeper coach as well. Uh, what was the celebration like? What was that evening like and, and what did it mean to you? You said you'd been part of a couple of championships and, and also an MLS Cup where you lost, but to be in goal for one, did it mean something a little bit more to you personally? Sure, I think it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, the 98 was a tough final to lose and... 
you know, that is one game that I, I remember a great deal from. Um, you know, those two goals that we gave up in the 98 final, uh, although, uh, you know, I, I, I took a lot of responsibility for them. They were, the, the funny thing is, before the 99 season, the referees came around to do a symposium um, and, and talk about the rule changes for the year. And they brought up both of those goals uh, from that 98 final and, and talked about how, you know, they'd done a review on them and both of them were offsides. Yeah, just and, 20 years too early for VAR, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was funny because it, that was that preseason, preseason. It kind of set the tone, you know, when, when that wasn't a goal and that wasn't a goal. We all jump up and down. And we go, yeah, we, we should have won that game. And I think that that kind of um, – uh, it was that, that actually was really important for me because it um, it it took whatever pressure I had built up internally took a little bit of that off saying okay this wasn't my fault that we and it, it, and and you know I've had a chance to reflect I know it wasn't my fault that we lost those games but as a young player that's what you, you right, think of right and so um, so after the final in 99 it was certainly just uh you know it was it was interesting because at once at one on one side of it you've we've been in so many championships that it kind of felt like this is normal this is what we should be doing but at the same time for me it was okay i've gotten that a little of that monkey off my shoulder uh or monkey off my back and 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 i'm in that group of east united goalkeepers that have won a championship Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll kind of end with a little bit of, of what you just mentioned. You know, now that it is 20 years later, when you do get a chance to either catch up with some of your old teammates or maybe you run into guys here or there, maybe you were back for a reunion at some point, uh, when you think about what you guys accomplished and, and what you achieved, uh, what type of memory is it? is it? Is it something that you still hold very near and dear even 20 years later? Uh, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of... Um the things that we accomplished in the beginning of MLS, you know, there's so much MLS has really grown. Um, uh, it's a, it's a league that doesn't look very much like the league that was 20 years ago. Um, but, but I think that us old players, older players, we have a lot of pride in what we did, uh, to help grow the sport in the United States. And, um, and sometimes that's forgotten, but when we get together, it's certainly not forgotten. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the great thing about teammates is um, you have a bond forever. And um, and when we see each other, it's like it was uh, we had just been out of training or just finished a game the day before. You know, it's um, uh, the relationships are very strong and the bond is really strong. And, um, you know, it's something that we'll have. Uh, a shared experience for the rest of our lives. I don't know about you, but my favorite part of that interview was listening to Tom rattle off all of his superstitions, how many they there were, how intricate they were, how much he absolutely needed them to go right, and as he said, not because he was necessarily playing so well that he felt he had to do everything the same, but more out of a fear that if he didn't do them, everything would unravel, everything would go wrong, and DC United would be doomed. I think a lot of us who have ever played sports over the years can relate to that because most of us have never been so lights out that we just absolutely have to 
do the same thing. It's more about just keeping the routine and, and making sure we don't screw up any more than, than we already do. So really cool to hear Tom share a bunch of those stories. I liked hearing all the, the anecdotes that he had about you know, being in the locker room and, and what it was like after that game two in Columbus for the Eastern Conference Finals. That was fascinating. And, you know, just some of the insights he had into what it's like being sort of that last line of defense on what was one of the better teams in D.C. United history. So we thank Tom for stopping by and joining us. And that's all we have for you on today's episode of the D.C. United podcast. I hope you enjoyed another look back at the 1999 season celebrating the 20th anniversary of D.C. United's third MLS Cup title. In the meantime, until our next episode of this show, we encourage you to check out dcunited.com for all of our written work, videos, podcasts, and everything else you need to stay caught up on the black and red. So until the next episode of this show, I hope you have a terrific rest of your day, a terrific rest of your week, and I will talk to you again soon. Uh